Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Back in the book of Philemon for the last section of the book. We've covered up to this point to verse number 21. So tonight we'll be looking at verse number 21 through verse number 25. But before we get there, I want to make sure that we recap everything that we've seen so far. So we've had three other sections. We've sectioned out three other portions of this book. If you remember with me, we sectioned out verses 1 through 7, and we looked at the basis, the foundation for the reconciliation that we read about in this book. Paul was writing this letter to a friend of his who had a church in his house and had had a slave run away from him. Paul is going to ask him to reconcile this slave named Onesimus to himself. But in order for Paul to make that ask, to make that request, he lays a foundation And we remember seeing that specifically in verse number 6 and verse number 7, where we saw that Paul calls Philemon back to something very specific and a very, very important point in all of our lives. And that's what we're going to go back to a little bit tonight to understand the cost, or I'm sorry, the reach of reconciliation. So we had the foundation or the basis, we had the source, we had the cost, and tonight we'll be looking at the reach. So we had the union with Christ was the foundation. Everything that Paul was getting ready to talk about, he puts union with Christ at the bottom of it. That's the foundation. Just like Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, I have laid a foundation. The song we sung, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Paul said, I've laid a foundation That foundation is Christ. He said, what you build on top of that foundation is yet to be seen. It's either going to be good material or it's going to be bad material. And when the fires of time come, and they will, your foundation will still be there. But depending on what you built on that foundation, it may stand the test of time, or it may not stand the test of time. So he does something in the book of Philemon by laying a foundation. So no matter what happens, Paul has laid the foundation for his request to Philemon, and that's Philemon's union with Christ. From there, he speaks to Philemon about the source that he's going to pull this reconciliation from. So he's telling Philemon, look, Philemon, you have in you a source that will produce reconciliation that I'm going to ask you to do. And that source we saw specifically in verse 8 and 9 is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is produced from the union with Christ, and it is flowing out of that union. 
So he's saying, Philemon, I know you. Those who know you talk about this love that comes out of you. You know that where this love comes from. It may have been that Philemon was not a very nice guy before he came to Christ. We don't know. But what we do know is that love was flowing out of Philemon. All over everybody. And if you're going to spring a leak, the love of Christ is not a bad thing to be leaking out of you. As a matter of fact, we're called to let that flow out of us. He says that's the source. So, We have a basis for the reconciliation. He says the source, the strength behind this reconciliation is the love of Christ that is in you producing love for other people. We went through in verses 12 through verse number 20, we saw the cost of reconciliation. Reconciliation is never free. It costs. Specifically, reconciliation costs Christ obedience in leaving glory, putting on himself humanity, living a perfect life of submission to God, dying on the cross, and being resurrected. That's what reconciliation cost God. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So we have this cost being great. And Paul, he conveys that to Philemon. He says, look, this is going to cost, but remember your reconciliation. When you were an enemy of God, when you were not only going contrary to God, you were fighting against God, remember what God did for you. And again, we looked at Romans God commended, he showed his love while we were yet sinners, while we were still his enemies. He showed his love while we were against him. And if he did that to us, Paul says we ought to be willing to do that to others. Let me stop and say, nobody has wronged you like you have wronged God. The analogy that I've heard used with that, even in talking about sin and the justice of God, if I go and kick my dog when I get home, I may get fussed at by my kids, but nobody's going to care. If I go kick Joe Biden, there's going to be a lot worse consequences. I'll never get that close, but there will be a lot worse consequences. And in that same way, because of the authority of the creator of the universe, your sin towards him owes a great debt. You've done way worse towards him than anybody has done towards you. But he paid. He gave. He brought reconciliation to you. And so that ought to pale the reconciliation that we ought to give to other people because nobody's done to you what you have done to God. Nobody has sinned against you in the manner that you have sinned against God in thought, in word, in deed. I may think bad things about somebody. I may even talk about them behind their back, but they don't know that. But God knows that. And when you have done that to them, 
He says you've done that to him. You have sinned against God in a greater way than you have been sinned against. So that reconciliation that has been shown to you ought to be flowing through and you reconcile those around you. And that's what Paul conveys to Philemon. He says, these things have been done to you and I'm asking you to bring Onesimus back. Paul doesn't, we saw this, verse number 17, verse number 18. Paul doesn't just say, Philemon, you better do this because I'm an apostle. And if you don't, I'm going to pray that God kills you. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, Philemon, remember what you've done to God. Remember, God reconciled you. Take Onesimus back. If he owes you anything, I will pay for it. Receive him as you would receive me. So Paul puts his money where his mouth is. So we come to this section, verse number 21, through verse number 25, and Paul closes out the book. But in closing this book, I want us to take a snippet, if you will, of practical advice, of practical instruction, something that we can understand so that it produces in us this same kind of reconciliation. Because it's great and it's wonderful for me to stand here and say that reconciliation comes from union with Christ. And it's great and it's wonderful for me to say that reconciliation is sourced by love of Christ through you. And it's great and it's wonderful for me to tell you what Christ has done. But if you don't take those things and apply those things to yourself, it's not going to do any good. And don't hear me trying to tell you that I'm going to give you practical steps to do things because I'm not. It's one step and it's really, really easy. And if you're here tonight and you have believed on Christ, you've already made that step. So let's get into this section of scripture. Verse number 21, Paul writes to Philemon. He says, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee knowing thou will also do more than I say. Quite a way to end a letter. So he's asked all these things, and Paul says, I am sure that you are going to do what I'm saying. That's the reason I wrote all this. I wouldn't have even wrote it if I didn't think you would do it. Paul says, I knew that you would do these things. And not only this, I know you will do more than I'm asking. You're going to go above and beyond. And history tells us that he did go above and beyond. Verse number 22, But withal prepare me also lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So what Paul does is he closes out this book of Philemon, this letter to Philemon, this request to Philemon saying, Philemon, I know you're going to receive Onesimus back. And I know you're going to do more than that. 
There's a reason that Paul knew this. If you'll turn with me real quickly to Romans chapter number 6, I want to show you why Paul had the confidence that Philemon was going to not only receive Onesimus back, but that he would do more than that. Verse number one of chapter six, Paul has ended his dissertation, his his explanation of the gospel. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So he gets done telling them what the gospel is, and he expects their response to be, well, if that's how good the gospel is, we can just do whatever we want. And people will say that. If you have given the gospel to them correctly, that will be their response. So you're telling me I can just do whatever I want because Christ paid for everything and he's given me his righteousness. Paul expects that response because Paul has given us the gospel correctly. He says, what are we going to do then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And please notice what Paul does. Paul doesn't say We're not going to continue in sin so that grace may abound. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Let's see what Paul says. How shall we? How are we going to go back to sin? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto your sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What Paul does here in this section of the book of Romans, again, he's told us in Romans, if you remember back, what, two or three years now, we, where we went through the book of Romans, if you remember back to this section, 
Paul gives the gospel. He shows everybody that everybody is without any hope. Everybody, for lack of a better way to say it, is in a ton of trouble. Because those who don't have the knowledge of the gospel have nature. Those who have the law are under even greater condemnation because they're trying to get to God through the law. We're all without hope. But he gives us the gospel in Romans chapter number 5. He tells us what has been done for us. And after he's done with that, he expects the response to be, we can do whatever we want. But instead of telling them, no, we're not doing whatever we want, and giving them a list of instructions, he backs up and he tells them again who they are. He says, God forbid. Because if you have been put into Christ, you are dead to sin now. He's like, if you think that you're going back and do whatever you want, you miss the whole point. And that's what Paul has done with Philemon. When I mentioned that we were going to look and discuss and think through our union with Christ, that is what I meant because that is exactly what Paul does after explaining the gospel in chapter number five. He goes back and he explains to them the unification that they have with Christ. In one of the songs that we sung tonight, it spoke of a mystic, sweet communion. Basically, what the song was saying is that we have been put together with Christ. We have been unified with Christ. When we take communion, what are we doing? We are, yes, we are remembering Christ's death for us. But even past that, it is a picture, it's a sign, it's a seal. It's something we can grasp, that we can see broken in our hand and Understand that just as it is broken in our hands, so Christ's body was broken for us. When we take it, just as the bread and the juice go into you, so Christ is in you. Just as you gain nourishment from that, so Christ nourishes you. It shows us in a tangible way who we are, that we have been unified with Christ, that we have been put into him. And he has been put into us. We have been connected with the Son of God. Paul in chapter 6 there is explaining to the Roman church, you have been connected with Christ. How are you going to do anything different than what he has done? When we don't do what he has done, where is our problem? Is it that someone did not tell us, instruct us, motivate us enough to do what we're supposed to be doing? That's not the problem. The problem is, in almost every area of our life, is we don't know who we are. If I tell you who you are, you can do what you're supposed to do. Let me put this in, 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 a, in, a, in a practical way. If you go to work tomorrow and your job title is on the bottom rung, if you are just the laborer, if you're, if you're the bottom end of your industry and you walk in and you start telling people what to do, 
probably not going to work out real well. It doesn't matter how many motivational books that you read about leadership. It doesn't matter how many of Donald Trump's book you read about leading business. If you start going into your workplace and telling people what to do, it's not going to go well for you. No matter what kind of rules that you've been given. But if you are the manager of that company, you are a supervisor in that company, and you walk in and you start telling people what to do, that's your job, right? That's what you're supposed to be doing. Why? What's the difference between you walking in one way and telling everybody what to do and walking in another way and telling everybody what to do? To you are. Even greater than that, Paul is telling the Roman church, you have been put into Christ. It is who you are. I have been at my current job for almost 11 years. I don't go in worried about what I have to get done that day. And if I'm going to be able to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish, do you know why? Because I know who I am. I know what my responsibilities are. I know the title that I've been given. So it's not stressful for me to go in and do my job. If you understand who you are, the title that you have been given, it is not a stressful effort to do what you are supposed to do because you already have it in you. That's what our union with Christ produces. And that is the reason that Paul could say, I have confidence in your obedience and I know that you would do more than what I've asked. Because he knew, Philemon knew who Philemon was. He knew that Philemon knew his position in Christ. He knew that Philemon knew that he was an adopted son of God. He knew that. If you don't believe me, go back and read it. It'll take you like three minutes to read the whole book. He again and again and again tells him that he knows these things about him. And that's the reason that we can look at one another and expect the love of Christ to be coming out of each other. We fail. We do a horrible job most of the time. But we can come together with confidence that if we've been told who we are, if we've been given this identity, if we've been shown our position in Christ and Christ in us, it should not be a strange thing for me to walk in here and expect to see Christ coming out of each and every one of you. It should not be strange for you to come in and expect to see Christ coming out of me. When Christ doesn't come out, that should be what's strange. That should be the weird thing. And, and if, you, if you think about it, that's what, we, that's what we do. When we are around other Christian people and there is something that happens, we leave that situation thinking, that was weird. That's not that. It, 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 it sets us back almost. It's like we can go into interactions with the world and we can expect to have confrontation, right? We do. <laughs> there are multiple times, to my, to my own fault, 
that I will enter into an interaction for lack of a better way to say it, you know the way that a rooster bows up whenever it's getting ready to come after something? You walk into interactions in the world like that, don't you? At least I do. There are interactions you bow up because you are like, I'm about to have to deal with something because you expect that. That ought not be how we come together as Christians. We should not expect that to come out of each other. And if it does, do you know why it does? Because that person does not know who they are. If you walk in and you have somebody, even in your workplace, that is taking authority in ways that they don't possess it, it's because they don't, number one, they don't know who they are, or number two, they are doing things that they think they're supposed to be doing. There are people that come to my mind that I've worked with that they act in ways to overcompensate. They are basically, they're basically a jerk because they're overcompensating for their misunderstanding of their position. They think they're supposed to be doing something that they're not, or they think that they're not supposed to be doing something that they are. So they overcompensate in those ways. And that is what we do when we come to our Christian life. We find ourselves overcompensating in ways And Paul tells us we overcompensate by grabbing hold of the law. Think back to the book of Genesis. You have Abraham. He's given a promise that he will have a son, and that son will be the seed of the Messiah. Right? You ever remember this story? It's not happening. He's old. His wife's old. They're coming together. Nothing's happening. What does Sarah say? Abraham, you know what? I've got this maiden. I've got this slave. I bet you she could have a son. Maybe that's the way we're supposed to do it. Abraham's like, yeah, you know what? Sounds good to me. Hagar has Ishmael. Go to the book of Galatians. Paul says that these things were an allegory. They were an example He tells the Galatian church, what you are trying to do, you have been given the promise of God. And yet, you are running back to the law. Just like Abraham went to Hagar. You've been given the promise of God, but you think that you have a better way. You are overcompensating for your lack of belief in the promise of God. That's what we do. We We run and we shack up with Hagar every chance that we get because we don't think that God's promise is enough. We don't think that the union of Christ with us will produce enough in us. We don't think that if we believe that we are really in him and he is really in us, that it's going to be enough. So we have to figure out a way to do it ourselves. We overcompensate. We run back to the law. We start to give each other rules and regulations of all sorts to try and keep us in line because what Christ has done is not enough. If that was Paul's motivation in this text, do you know what Paul would have said? He would have said, Philemon, you know what's right. You know that you're not supposed to be acting in foul ways toward Onesimus. And if you do, You better watch out. God's about to come down. He's about to strike you. You're going to have to deal with all kinds of chastisement for your sin. And while I'm at it, what kind of music are you listening to? 
What kind of clothes are you wearing? Where you where have you been going on the weekends, Philemon? That's what this letter would have looked like. But it's not. Paul says, you have been unified with Christ, Philemon. I know that you know this because whenever people talk about you, they talk about the love of Christ that comes through you. That love of Christ that comes through you is in you because Christ loved you first and you know that he loved you or else this love wouldn't be coming out of you. Paul basically tells Philemon, I know that you know. But what the Spirit of God has given to us by preserving this text for us is that we see a picture of what the gospel looks like when we grab hold of it, when we really understand of it. Paul says here in verse number 21, I know that you're going to do these things and you're going to go above and beyond because I know how good Christ is. I know what's going to come out of you, Philemon, is good because I know how good the one in you is. I know how good the one that we have been put in together is. I don't question what's going to come out of you. I don't question what you're going to do. As a matter of fact, it's going to be better than I think it is. The Spirit's given this to us so that we can see when we understand who we are, we understand the position that we've been given, we understand what God has done for us, what happens is it flows through us. The old writers, four or five hundred years ago, they called this a mystery because it doesn't make sense. When we come to situations like this, our our knee-jerk reaction, again, is to run back and grab rules, regulations, authority in the law. But what God has said through the Scriptures to us is that our union with Christ is what produces these things. Paul goes even a little bit farther than all of this. He says in verse number 22, Prepare me lodging. Paul was a prisoner in this text. Paul didn't know for sure whether or not he would be released. He said, hey, Philemon, by the way, get my room ready. I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Paul doesn't just say, I know you're going to do what I say. but He said, I know you've been praying for me. And I believe your prayers are enough to bring me back to you. Paul ends out this letter. He says, basically say hi to everybody that's there with you. Fellow prisoners is the way that Paul references. Fellow laborers. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know why he said that? Because he knew it would be. When we, Even when we pray... We're we're praying publicly when we pray. We are pronouncing God's will to him. We're pronouncing it to one another. When we pray for one another, we are, in a sense, speaking God's word to them in confidence. That's what Paul is doing here. He's telling them, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. It's not just a mere request from Paul because... Paul has the promise of God that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. So when we come to Philemon, 
And tonight as we leave Philemon, let's take away with us that one thing. That one thing being union with Christ. Because if we miss that, then we miss the whole point. We've missed everything. If I come and I just merely preach reconciliation to you, it's not going to help you reconcile anybody. Because most of y'all, I'm convinced, and forgive me if I'm wrong, are at least as bad as I am. And I don't reconcile people easily. As a matter of fact, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt one time. You screw it up one time, we're done. That's me. That's, that's how I act. So whenever love comes through me, which is what you should expect from me, it didn't come from me. It came from Christ in me. When it comes from you, it doesn't come from you. It comes from Christ in you. And that's what we've got to understand. We've got to understand who we are in Christ. We've got to throw everything that we have and grab hold of the fact that Christ has said he will do this in us. That's our problem. We don't believe that Christ will really do it in us. We believe that, again, we believe that we have to grab hold of the law to do the work that Christ won't do. We believe that we have to tell other people that they need to be living according to the law because Christ won't do everything that he said he would do. That is what we're saying. We're saying Christ isn't enough to do what he said he would do. That's our problem. We don't believe. We don't believe Christ. We don't believe him. But if you can come to the scriptures and see that Christ has said that anybody that comes to me, I will not turn away. He said that I am with you always. He said that I am in you and you are in me. Read John 15. Without me, you can do nothing. When we believe those things, we just cast ourselves again and again and again and again into that belief. He has promised he will change us. He's promised he will make us like him. He's promised he will renew our inward man day by day. So let's leave the book of Philemon believing that Christ will do what he said he would do. Believing that we really are part of him. Believing that he really is part of us. And believing that he'll do what he said. I mean, just taking him at his word. How different would have looked if Abraham would have just taken Christ at his word? There would have been no Ishmael. There would have been no fighting. There would have been a lot of things that wouldn't have happened. Abraham couldn't take God at his word. He thought he had to help fix it. Let's not do that. Let's just believe Christ. Let's understand who we are and believe that he's enough. Let's pray.